welcome to the Business Success Club. I want to say welcome, and you are in for a treat in this group. Hey, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. And on this podcast, what we really want to establish is this. How do hardworking entrepreneurs build profitable and scalable businesses whilst having the freedom and balance to do the other things they love? like family, vacations, sports, fun, adventures, and charity. So let's tune into today's podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. And today you have a special guest. We are talking to Daryl Evans. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's been an entrepreneur for over 30 years. Not only that, he's an investor and he's a co-founder of Yokel Local Internet Marketing, as well as a business coach, and a mentor, amazing guy. Now, let me tell you something. He has helped his entrepreneurial clients and companies generate over 300 million in US dollars in revenue online since 2011. And he started his own company and he's been operate, he's operated and owned six different companies since the age of 20. You are in for a treat because some people looking at us might think we are brothers because we are very aligned in what we talk about and our approach to entrepreneurism and onto business and mindset and psychology of success and psychology and high and peak performance and high performance. So Daryl, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about, about your background, who you are and what you do. <laughs> Mac, I am super excited to be here. Uh, thank you for such a rich introduction. Um, I'm always nervous about these introductions because you know, inside of all of that glamorous stuff that you said are loads and loads of failure and setbacks and breakdowns, as I call them in my world of mind shift. And so thank you for allowing me to be here. Uh, my background really quickly uh, started my entrepreneurial journey, as you mentioned, about 30 years ago when I was uh, in my early days of college. Uh, first business was a uh, commerce business. Today, they call it e-commerce. Uh, back then, it was out of my trunk of my car. So I guess we'll call it <laughs> truck commerce. Uh, I was an athlete in, in high school, love sports still to this day. You'll find me in sportswear if I'm not wearing a collared shirt for a business talk like this. Uh, I'm, I'm just a sports guy. So I, I uh, started buying t-shirts, hats, sweatshirts, uh, popular football teams, baseball teams, basketball teams, started selling them at a swap meet and uh, just paying some bills, right? Out of college, just putting some money in my pocket to pay tuition for school. And uh, But I was also at the same time, uh, Mac, a general manager, a restaurant general manager for a company in the United States called Taco Bell which is the college oh, kid's Taco favorite Bell. place to eat, uh -huh. right? Uh, cheapest place on planet still to this day to, to get in and get out for, for $3 and be full, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, so at the same time, I'm starting an entrepreneurial journey. I'm also in leadership uh, and I, I, would, I would go on to stay in that role while I was in college and uh, tinkered around with some other entrepreneurial ventures such as real estate and lending. We can get into those things uh, while I was in college. But what I learned was uh, I was getting entrepreneurial experience. But at the same time, I'm getting P&L experience from running a, a million dollar a year restaurant. I'm hiring, I'm staffing, I'm managing inventory, I'm ordering inventory. I'm dealing with restaurant maintenance. I'm dealing with cleanliness, customer service. I'm dealing with uh, leadership and growth and training. And before I left the organization, I, I would end up managing two stores while I was still in college with 55 employees and 10 assistant managers. Yeah. So I sort of cheated in a way that I look back and I think what, how instrumental were those years? Because as an entrepreneur, you have to handle all of those things, right? Or you have to build a structure to handle the growth of your business in that respect. Um, fast forward to 2010, sorry, fast forward to 2000, I switched into the mortgage industry, 
uh, started a business from scratch, ended up co-owning a mortgage company during the decade of 2000 to 2009. And around 2009, when the market crashed, everyone knows what happened in that industry. I just began to look back at my life plan, which uh, was around 2006. I was working with a coach named Kevin. We did some really hard work, life planning, 25 years out, really sitting down, some tear-jerking stuff. I still have it to this day. I still look at it to this day. And I started looking back and said, okay, let's, let's think about whether this aligns with that plan, meaning my work in that industry, very successful, but was this my life plan? And I often say, Mac, that business owners sometimes start businesses and the business owns them. Correct. And I always say that a business should serve the owner, meaning design the life that you want to have as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, and start working towards the systems, the models, the processes uh, to build that kind of business. And so at 2009, uh, that was the conversation with myself, um, looking back and and making some decisions and deciding to pivot. How did I end up in the digital marketing space to 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 tie into the uh, earlier intro? Well, I started digital marketing in 2003. That was the first time I built an email marketing campaign with a tool that's still around to this day. Uh, I ended up starting an internet marketing division in that mortgage company in 2006. Uh, started on LinkedIn 2007. Uh, uh, sorry, 2006, early YouTube channel, 2006. And I just started understanding the uh, ability to use technology for leverage. I was saying the same things over and over again, as many experts do. If you're an expert in your craft, expert is a broad term for professional service provider who's good at what they do, a restaurant owner who's good at what they do, a chef who's good at what they do, a coach like you and I who are good at what... If you are good at what you do, you're an expert. It doesn't mean you have to have an MBA or PhD or all these other uh, three or four letter... <laughs> <laughs> behind your name. And I just was saying the same things over and over again. And I'm like, there's got to be a better way. And so I opened up a video camera, started recording answers to frequently asked questions, built a YouTube channel. So that at the time when I was running a really high performing mortgage business and company, I could leverage the information that the customer wanted without me having to say it. So I was in the one-on-one -on -one business. If you think mm -hmm. about it, hand, I like to call it hand-to-hand -hand combat, <laughs> making sales face-to-face. -face. And I'm like, it, what, if, what if I could just help alleviate their problems, their pain, and their concern in advance of us having a sales call? Because nobody wants to be on a sales call. You yes. and I both know that, yes. right? So why don't we make it easier for them to get the information they need fast forward to 2000, where we are right now, where everyone can get any information they need. So I was just an early adopter of that model. So 2009, I'm thinking, hey, there's a lot of businesses who don't seem to understand this. So I started consulting. I met my business partner 2008-ish, 9-ish. We decided 2011 or so to start the agency. And it's been a fun journey uh, to really help companies move their business from offline to online, uh, from everything you could think about. But at the end of the day, customers only pay us to generate revenue. And so that's the layer of the journey for me. And that's uh, been a fun journey at the last 11 years now that we've had that company. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So great. Thank you for that background. And for those of our listeners who are just transitioned from employee to entrepreneur, what advice would you give them? Or what is one of the biggest lessons you learned on that journey? Because you were, it was almost, you know, it was a blessing that you were in those restaurants managing Ten assistants, myriad of staff. You know, one. You know, hour by hour, you got the stock ordering hat on. You got the management hat on. You got this customer <laughs> service hat. You got all this stuff going on. The sales yeah. hat on. The marketing hat on. So you were thrown in, and you learned on someone else's dime. Some people quit a job, and then they get into it, and they realize I've got to wear all these hats. You mean I can't call the IT department? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what did you learn? 
hundred percent. Right. So the best, a uh, couple, couple lessons that came out of it, first of all, for the uh, employee who's making the leap from corporate into entrepreneurship, the goal is to, uh, the first thing I want to tell you about is to keep, it's a mental goal and it's a mental uh, hurdle that you have to overcome. And that is keeping commitments to yourself. See, when you go to work for a corporation, they tell you when to show up, they tell you what time you're going to get off. They tell you, you can take an hour lunch. They tell you specifically what your job title is and what your uh, role is and what your daily duties are. And I love what your previous guest said, Mac, uh, about how companies constrict the ability for the employee to even move inside of environments and use their gifts. Um, and if we get down to that point, I'll talk about team building a little bit and how I vision it. But I love what your previous guest said about that topic and what he wrote about in his book. That being said, entrepreneurs who are new, who had corporate jobs and thrived, because I really think if you don't thrive in corporate and then you think you're going to, if you, if you're half doing it in corporate, mm -hmm. I like to call it hiding inside the corporate umbrella, just oh. getting, doing just enough to get the check. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, and of course, some companies want to pay you just enough to keep you yeah. from quitting. Right. If you're that kind of mindset person, you'll never succeed as an entrepreneur. And I'll tell you why because you aren't prospering where you are now. And so I always encourage entrepreneurs that before you go jump into entrepreneurship, you better be doing the best you can where you're at, right? How did I start as a fry cook and become a general manager? I didn't go there with the intention to become a general manager. I just prospered where I was planted. They gave me the job as a fry cook. So I did it good. They, they told me how to do it. I just did it. Well, I didn't know I was going to end up as a general manager. Mm -hmm. So thing number one, when you're an entrepreneur is, You've got to be able to commit, keep commitments to yourself because you're not only the uh, visionary, but you're also now the implementer. See, mm -hmm. so that is one of the big challenges. So it's, are you willing to keep commitments? If you're only going to work an hour a day on your business because you're still transitioning, then what are you going to do in those hours? Are you going to do the highest and most productive thing in those hours? If it's going to be five hours, like it was for me early in my days, if I'm going to commit five hours, but I still have corporate and I still have this and I still have kids and I still have family and I still have school and all that stuff, you've got to be a master of productivity and time management, time blocking and being effective. So the first thing is keeping commitments to yourself. Uh, the second thing is keeping the main thing, the main thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you said it, Mac, there are a lot of things to be worried about when you start a business, but the first and most important thing is generating revenue, Absolutely. sales, customers, solving problems. ASAP. I love the way Mark Cuban says it, which is sales cures all problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. That's money in the bank. That's money it's, coming through. It's not the logo. It's not the website. It's, it, it's not the accounting software. You got to have all that stuff. I get it. But find out who's going to buy the, who's, who has the problem that your product or service can solve and find your way in front of them as soon and as often as pod, I know you get this because I hear you talk about sales and we, we agree on this topic a lot, right? Um, so those are two quick things without going on a, on a real tangent on, but those are two things when you're brand new. Number one, keep commitments to yourself. Keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is sales. I love that. I love that. I love that. Yeah, very, very good. You know, the, the amount of many weeks and months, someone, you know, someone I speak to and they say, I'm not making any sales. Well, you're spending, how much time do you spend in designing your website and getting it all that right? That's not going to generate you anything yet. You know, you've got to go out there, speak to people. So I love that thing about sales because it creates cash flow. No, no cash flow, no business, no customers. Uh, so you said something earlier on, Daryl, about you were fortunate enough for someone, I think an early mentor, to pull you aside, 
to work out a 25-year plan for you to get clear on your vision, where you're going, how important is it to have a mentor or a coach or an, or an advisor on your entrepreneurial journey? How important is that? It's up there with, it's up there with oxygen. Mm. Um, it, it, to me, it's up there with oxygen. Let me, get, let me put in context what I mean by that. You don't have to work with someone like Mac or me right out of the box. You right. So you don't go to Mac and I hate the word mentorship. I, I'm going to pick on the word a little bit just because a lot of times people come to me and they want me to give up my time for free to impart wisdom that'll help them, but they've got no skin in the game. And so I have a real problem after 30 years of doing this. I can't tell you, Mac, how, first of all, I'm an abundant person. I'll tell you anything I know, anytime I know, if you ask me anything today, I'll give it all away. I don't care. I'll do it here for free because I can do it at leverage. I can do it at scale. I can say it once. And you and I know, Mac, that most people won't do anything you say anyway. So, so, so you got to pay to play. The reality though, is this, there are books. uh, You've got some behind you. I've got some behind me. So you can get coaching and mentorship from someone else who's walked your walk through whatever problem you're facing for $17 on average. Yeah. And the reality of it, at least in the United States, I don't know about the global statistics is most people don't read more than one book a year after they leave college or high school. So, so the, First, mentorship starts there. Uh, I started mentorship for me, Mac, when I was in my 20s and I was looking at myself in my 20s and I had no other entrepreneurial friends. Everybody's going to pop parties and, and you know, doing the thing, right? College thing, yeah, yeah, right? The, the 20s you. thing, That's the right. dude 20s thing, right? You yeah. know, I'm not going to get into specifics, but you know, I know what I'm exactly talking about. what you're talking about. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm not going to the parties on Friday and Saturday because I'm still working at the Bell. See? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm still working at the Bell. And if I'm not working at the bell, I'm handling schoolwork. I got a degree in finance, thought I was going to go work on Wall Street. So I've got that. And I got a kid along the way. I had my first son at 22. So I've got life. I'm dealing with life, man. So so how did I get the help? It was through audio tapes, Tony Robbins. It was Brian Tracy. It was Zig Ziglar. I went to seminars. I paid money to get help. Now, did I get one-on-one help from Zig? No. Did I get one-on-one help from from Brian Tracy? No. Did I get one-on-one help from... Uh, from um, Tony Robbins, no, but to me, I got one-on-one help because their, they, their words were in my ear and they gave me frameworks. And so fast forward to, uh, you know, up the ladder, of course, yes, I think mentorship is critical. I think uh, mentorship is the other word. Coaching is critical. Getting in masterminds is critical. Uh, Mac, I've had a coach since I've had a paid coach outside of a book or a tape or a CD or a seminar since 2002 have never had a year without one. And if someone listens back to the intro, someone would say, well, you're coaching and teaching and helping all these companies grow and you still have a coach, you still have an advisor? The answer is yes, I do. And I pay a good chunk of change for it because I'm not that smart. I'm just not. You said you hit the nail on the head. Absolutely. Not that you're not smart. I know you are smart, but having- You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. Having a coach by your side or someone overseeing what you do, they see things that you don't. Blind they, spots. They, you know, you're the entrepreneur. They're, who's holding you accountable? And you can always right. get yourself off. And there's always manana, manana, manana. <laughs> <laughs> right? There's always tomorrow. And, right. and, yeah, with someone who is holding you accountable, supporting you, I found personally that I, I move on forward faster than I could do 
on my own. There's a lot of things I yeah. don't know, but they, they, and they call you and they call you on your BS. There you go. See, see, it isn't that my advisor knows my business. My advisor knows nothing about digital marketing. My advisor doesn't have a clue how to do SEO or Google ads or copywriting or none of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In fact, to be quite frank, he can't stand the internet. Let's be clear. He has turned over two companies, $10 million plus. His yeah. business partner turned over a $300 million company, which means he bought a company for 30, sold it for 300 about four years later. Very nice. Neither one of them could care less about the internet. They could care less about my business model. They could care less about how we do what we do. What he does know is he knows how businesses grow and scale. And so it's picking apart those lessons and he holds us accountable at every doggone meeting. In fact, I love him to death, but I hate him too. Because <laughs> he calls out the crap. That's it. That's it. That's a good, that's a good coach, a good mentor, someone who can call out, call you out on your stuff and uh and and not even blink an eyelid. It's just he doesn't. Yeah, there you don't go. <laughs> That's it's not emotional. It's not emotional. <laughs> he go. hurts. He hurts feelings, man. <laughs> to be quite honest. What is on the same note, then, um, Daryl? What is the? What would you say entrepreneurs need to know or understand before they even start to scale? Um, you know, they, what's the biggest mistakes they make before they even start to to scale? Because some people they're not ready to scale, but they think they are. And then there's major mistakes they make and they actually crash and burn. Yeah, great question. Three things that come to mind for me, and that is something I had to learn very hard when I got my first coach, which is I had to understand what my superstar strength was in the business. I call it superstar DNA, meaning mm -hmm. you as an entrepreneur come to a venture, come to an idea, come to a process. You bring a certain skill set, and I call it your superstar DNA. DNA stands for definite natural ability, right? right. So your DNA. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to use what I see a lot of. I see, uh, and by the way, the one of the best books that ever helped me out in my journey was The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Great book. And in that book, we hear this idea of the technician having an entrepreneurial seizure. Yes. And this entrepreneurial seizure is, I'm going to use the example, law, lawyer at a law practice who comes in out of college, let's say, becomes an associate, moves up the rank, becomes a partner feels like at that point they're bringing in all the business or they're making the most impact on revenue and the other partners maybe aren't carrying their weight. They decide to go lay their own shingle on their own firm. Mm -hmm. So the interesting part is all the rest of the business was being handled in the firm. And this person was doing the one thing, which may have been sales, practicing cases, et cetera. But now you hang your own hat. Now you got to deal with all those things we talked about before, which is the business of the business. Yeah. So the question is, is are you a business owner or are you a superstar technician and trying to figure out who you are, right? Traction has a way of saying it. Are you a visionary or are you an integrator, right? You've got to figure out who you are because so before you can scale, know who in the heck you are, whether that's a Myers-Briggs personality test, whether it's a disc profile, whether it's Colby, which is one of my favorites, figure mm. out who you are. So because here's the problem, uh, Mac, and you, you know this, when you bump up against when you bump up against areas of growth that are required, but they're outside of your skill set, your energy will fall fast. It's almost oh, yeah. like someone deflated your balloon. Uh -huh. That's an easy way to figure out whether this is your true skill set or not. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying people making excuses for not doing the thing. I'm saying you can tell when your energy is drained early in my days, 
I uh, in the mortgage industry, there was this uh, the, there was originating the work, and then there was processing the work. Mm. There was nothing, Mac, about the processing of the loan that got me excited any given day. So how in the world could I close 15 to 25 loans a month, 50, you know, how in the world could I do it? Well, I hired someone who was a gift at processing mortgages. I hired people who were experts at that stuff so I could focus on this stuff. And that's what my coach walked me through. So here's step two to scaling. A, figure out what you're good at, but then B, you've got to outline what I call your how we do it here structure. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's a it's an easier way of saying standard operating procedures, or what I like to say is the McDonald's system for your business. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first when I was in fast food, and I, I think about Taco Bell and all the the things I learned there, everything was structured, everything was systematic. It's a lot of the reasons why a lot of entrepreneurs go buy franchises and start starting instead of starting businesses from scratch, because the playbook is already there. You know, the brand is there, the playbook is there. All you have to do is invest in the capital to build the structure. And all of a sudden you have a proven model, i.e. Porter subs, i.e. Subway, i.e. Burger King, McDonald's. All, And I'm not saying that's not a good model, but when you step out in your own thing, especially a service business, especially if you're a service business or a restaurant that's non-franchise, you have to decide how do we do it here? For me, the very first exercise took me through a 90-day process to break out 63 steps in my mortgage business, because those are all of the steps that happen from the acquisition of a customer to the disposition of the transaction. And uh, then we had a, a program called the after unit, but so there were 68 steps and here's the problem. If you don't understand that there are 68 steps in your business, you will be overwhelmed. Mm-hmm, and the issue is, it's not that I'm good at all 68 steps. It's now I understand what has to be done for mm-hmm. our clients to have a great experience, our customers to get a great experience for us to deliver the product that we said, the way we say we're going to do it with the highest level of fa- satisfaction is possible to get referrals and repeat business and increase the average order value and lifetime value of our customer. So that is the work. And if you can just figure that out, you will have a little bit clearer picture of how success looks. The only problem then is, is you've got to do the thing we said earlier, which is go generate the revenue to then bring in the people who can handle the process. And so for me back then, just to use that process, I ended up hiring one person like right out of the gate after that problem got, after that process got laid out, Mm -hmm. I had to hire one person ASAP and then it was two and then it was three. So you just start figuring out what it looks like and then you can start filling the gaps. And so before you can scale, you go from your superstar power Right. Mm -hmm. But then to what is the process? What does the system look like? The marketing, the sales system, the ops system. And it can be as simple as being on. I still have the document that I wrote out back then, Mac. I still have it because I learned from everything I've done. And I never want to forget that nothing changes. McDonald's hasn't changed. They change products. They add some stuff. But getting a getting a burger in 1992 from Big Mac uh, through the drive through looks the same as it does today in 2021. Right. Right. It's the same right. process. Same so process. what is yours? Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's the couple pieces of advice I would. And, I would and many entrepreneurs don't realize that, that if you want to have a successful, scalable business, you need to build those processes, if, that system, and you need to have that in place. So not only you can follow it, but your team can follow it and you know where you're going at the end of the day, all the way to fulfillment. Fantastic. I love the, I love the examples you gave. I mean, it's <laughs> really good. Daryl, I want to ask you... Every successful entrepreneur like yourself 
have had some challenges. It comes with the territory. You know, if you're thinking you're coming as an entrepreneur and it's going to be plain sailing, you are. If you think you're going to grow a business and it's going to be plain sailing, you are in for a rude awakening. What would you say was your biggest challenge or pain and how did you overcome that? What was the biggest lesson and what, what, what did you, how did you overcome it and what did you learn from it? Gosh, Mac, that's such a broad, tough <laughs> question because you, you nailed it, right? Um, if anyone's listening to the show and you've been on an airplane ever, the best example, and I'll, I'll, I'll come up with something, but the biggest one, wow. Um, if you've been on an airplane, you understand that airplanes have turbulence. And a lot of times the turbulence happens before you even get in the sky. The plane's leaving late, the plane's over full and they try to sell your seat to someone else and they ask you if you'll take a credit for the next flight. You get on and they tell you that there's something wrong with the wheel and now you sit on the tarmac for 35 minutes. You get off the ground and all of a sudden the plane starts shaking. Mm -hmm. You get in the air and the, they put the seatbelt sign on for a reason and the captain comes on and says, we're going to see if we can get to 35,000 feet and then we're going to turn off the seatbelt sign, let you move around the cabin. They hit some weather they didn't expect. That never happens. You feel the bumps, you're nervous. Turbulence is a part of the airplane flight, no matter whether it's a little or a lot. And that's the, that's the world of business. The sooner you become accustomed and adapted to that, the better off you'll be. My biggest failure, golly. Uh, I'm going to say it was the not recognizing, gosh, you know, so every failure I've had, I've also learned something from and sometimes realized things happen for a reason because I've always ended up on the other side of it, looking back, laughing at the thing that made me once cry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, I would say in almost every scenario, not getting out of my own way faster. Uh, I'm a very, I'm a high D person in the disc world. I'm a quick start in the Colby, um, Colby world. Mm -hmm. And one of my failures, Mac, is not an event. It's an occurrence that I would say that I've done repeatedly over time. And that is, I have a high quality standard of output of work. I have a high quality of what I expect my clients to receive from what we do. I never expect that they are less than 100% satisfied. And there are times, and I struggled with this actually at Taco Bell, the first three years I was a general manager. And as I reflect back on your question, it wasn't an event. It's more of a, an attitude that I'm still learning to grow through. Mm -hmm. And that is teaching and empowering my team to elevate their performance to what I would do if it was me. Mm. And that doesn't mean I'm so good at it, but I have such a high quality standard. I just can't tolerate substandard work from vendors, from output. And so my failure is sometimes I still am very critical as a leader and I need to do a better job I'm very, I consider myself very empathetic. I, I give people a lot of runway to use their gifts. I believe as an employer, my job is to hire people who have unique gifts and specialties that when they align their unique gifts and talents with our vision, we'll have a successful journey. Absolutely. And that's a big vision. And sometimes I fail as a leader in the way I communicate. Um, I get very excited 
<laughs> I can come across very critical. Mm. And I would say that that is still a, a challenge for me because I, I have my foot on the gas all the time. Uh-huh. You know what I love, you know, people listening in, what I love of what you just said is, although you've created all this success and worked with all these companies and helped them generate $300 million and that you're saying, look, I'm not perfect. I'm still learning. I'm still making mistakes, but I'm willing to embrace that and know in my heart that I can always do better. So I love I love your honesty. I love your transparency. I love your, uh, on, you know, all the stuff you said. Yeah. It's fantastic. Let me, let me, let me, let me say yeah, this one thing. I, I think back to, um, our, our former operations manager, uh, her name was Nikki and, and she came into my office one day and this is about three years ago, four years ago, three years ago. And she had, she had been witnessing me. She was new to the company. She was newly our operations manager. She'd been watching me for a while. And she was waiting for her time to come in and tell me that I needed to change. I, I was I was not handling some things properly in the way I was communicating, and she did it. She came in because I have brave. a very well, 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 well. I created a, I created a channel for that to happen because every month I have one on ones with my key leaders, right? right? So every month I have a one on one with my key leaders, and the the opportunity is, you know, how leaders say there's an open door policy. You can come in and talk to me about anything. They don't have that, and nobody ever comes in. Yeah. So I created a reason to come in the door. Mm -hmm. So that means you can come into the door, say anything you want. It's 100% unfiltered. It's 100% no recourse. Tell me anything you don't like about the company, your role, the mission that we're chase, chasing, something that changed the policy. What I don't allow in that meeting is for you to come in and do character assassination on a teammate. That's it. Good. But Good. you can come in and tell me anything. And so she decided to come in that day. And she let me have it in a very professional way. She said, Daryl, may I? And I said, please. And Mac, it hurt. It hurt to hear her observation, but I, I had to get humble and say, she didn't come in here to hurt me. She didn't come in here to attack me. She came in here to make my company better. She came in here to make me better. She came in here to raise my awareness. Cause a lot of times we get focused. We just don't going back to that coaching scenario. And if you're not coachable, not just from somebody you pay, then you're not going to grow. Right. And I'll never forget that. I, I, I still, she's not with us today. Uh, she moved on from organization, but I value the number of times because I didn't get it the first time. Let's be clear. Right. Uh, I just value what she said. And so coaching doesn't have to come from someone who you hired, someone you paid, someone who is maybe in a higher role than you. Just be mindful that someone of value is watching you. And if they got something to share, just take it in. And, and she was very helpful in helping me get back to being more mindful of that. Yeah, I think you've done a very a great job in terms of your enterprise, because if you've created a culture where it's open, it's transparent, people say it as it is, and they know from what you're saying, my translation says, it's all about mission first. It's all about the mission. It's about the mission of the business, where we're going. And if you're buying into that, well, let's go. So I, I love that. Thank you, Daryl. Daryl, tell me as we, um, tell me you, how do you help small businesses com compete against some of the bigger brands head on and, and do well? I mean, tell us what's your process? Yeah. What do you do? How do you do it? Yeah, so great question. So I'm going to say, let's take all the tactical stuff out of play, SEO, pay-per-click, uh -huh. Facebook ads, Google SEO, because there's a lot of places to go. What I will say is the framework doesn't change. The framework is what does the work. So I, I often say that, uh, there's a book over my shoulder. I'm not sure if my camera is blocking it, but the, the art of war, 
I played Sun Tzu and I played sports growing up. So this actually came to me from playing sports and then coaching sports and then running a business in my twenties. And then all the businesses, it all is the same. And that is this tactics before strategy is the noise before defeat. So I'm a strategist. I am not going to start a, back when I coached football, I'm not going to start a football game without a plan. I'm not going to start a football game without a scheme. I'm not going to start a football game without researching my opponent and understanding what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, and how do we think we can attack? It doesn't mean though, Mac, that you and I both know that when the kickoff happens, yeah, the plan could go to hell. Mike Absolutely. Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until they get Absolutely. punched in the mouth. Right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> right? so, um, so here's how we do it. It's not actually, we, we, we go into a marketplace with a client and we look at opportunities. We, we research where that business owner or that company's ideal customer lives in a place online that their bigger competitors are not paying attention to. Let's just use Google for an example. Let's mm -hmm. just go one tactical layer into this. If everyone knows that if someone goes to Google, they have some sort of problem or concern they'd like an answer to. It could be a high level answer where they're just Q looking for Q and A and FAQ type query all the way down to a commercial search query. However, in every industry I've ever worked in, and I've been able to pull this framework off, not just me, but our team, we, our company, we've been pulling this framework off in every industry you can think of. I haven't figured it out where it wouldn't work yet, so I can't say it'll never work, but here's the framework. And that is identifying the six to 15 things that could go wrong in your ideal customer's life that could lead them to buying your product or service. Here's an example. I'm gonna take you back to a, a, a family law attorney. So a family law attorney, a divorce attorney, as they call it here, divorce attorney, family law attorney, mm. that's who they are. Right. But what are the problems that the husband and or wife or spouse, partner, significant other could be having in their mind that they would search for an answer to okay. prior to coming in and paying the $300 an hour fee or prior to coming in and paying the $3,000 retainer. Mm -hmm. See this, the, the, the attorney wants the retainer. Yeah. Well, if we can intersect our client into the journey of the concerns that your ideal customer has, here's an example. Someone who thinks that their marriage is on the rocks doesn't need to talk to an attorney today. No. Someone who thinks that their marriage is on the rocks and they own a home and they own cars and have children, they are going to wonder about three things. What happens to the house? What mm. happens to the cars? What happens with the children? Children, yeah. Going underneath each of those sub niches are the deeper questions. If I'm the husband mm. and I think it's on the rocks and I've been the breadwinner, I might be wondering how much alimony would I have to pay? Mm. What should child support be? Yeah. How do I get joint custody? Mm -hmm. 
So Mac, without making it a long dissertation, it is not hard, but the framework says, enter the buyer's journey at the problem that precedes the solution. The solution is getting divorced. Yeah. But what are the problems that someone wants to solve or get awareness about or get information on or get understanding to? And I, I cannot say it any simpler than that, but it, it's available in every industry. No one wakes up in the middle of the night wanting to hire a digital marketing agency. No. When you ask somebody what's keeping you up at night, the last thing is, oh, I just can't wait to talk to the digital marketing agency <laughs> tomorrow morning to help me with my SEO. That is not what That's they're talking true. about. That's What's true. keeping them up at night is I've been doing this stuff online and it's not working. So I need a better digital marketing strategy. What's keeping them up at night is I've been hearing that I got to do SEO and pay-per-click and Google and landing pages and email, email copy. And I don't have the skill to do that. Even if I had the skill, I don't have the time. And actually I've been doing it all now for three to five years. I talked to a company, they've been spending $6,000 a month with the same company for four years. And then he had nothing nice to say about the company he was paying. And I'm thinking, wow, and you think that's their fault. So don't let me get into that conversation yeah, because I, <laughs> I, I have to, I have to hold owners accountable for their own failure of thinking like you knew they were bad when <laughs> you sorry. knew they were bad oh. two years ago. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And you still so kept them. So don't badmouth them right now. That's your uh -huh. problem, right? So, yeah. so the last problem that, that we solve is they don't know how to get an ROI on yeah. the process. So yeah. those are my problems. And so for us as business coaches, same thing. They're not thinking about hiring a business coach at 11 o'clock at night. No, no. I say it to coaches and experts all the time. So that is the way, that's the strategy. That's one of the strategies mm -hmm. um, because that's a search first strategy. And then of course, there's always the other side of it, which is the, um, I would call it the uh, interruption strategy or the impression-based strategy, which is a totally different approach whereby we've replaced the old way of doing TV, radio, billboards. We've replaced that whole model with digital and we know how to do it very effectively. And so that's, that's kind of how we go about helping smaller companies. And it doesn't matter if you're a smaller company, bigger company, but that is how we figure out how to get quick wins earlier and if we can get quick wins, we do something called, we get momentum, which is what an airplane does, right? We spend 80% of our energy getting off the ground mm -hmm. and then we can cruise. And so sometimes to go back to that lawyer, <laughs> we found that very company started with us in 2015. He's been on our books since 2015. He's a 30 year practicing attorney. He gets 30 something leads per month. And he, we stopped doing the tactic in 2017. Wow. Okay. Why does he pay us? Well, he still pays us for paid advertising and some other things, but yeah. we broke the strategy and said, you're going to invest this for 12 months and then it should be this. And you can yeah. just kind of cruise on that. And he wanted to be in cruise control. He didn't want to grow the practice anymore. Yeah. He want, he was a 30 year guy. He just wanted to kind of sunset his business. So he didn't be, he wasn't too aggressive. Um, but that was kind of, we found the hole where nobody was playing in his niche and we can almost always find it. And tapped into it very well. And, 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 and it worked like gangbusters. I mean, it just does over and over. I can do it for plumbers. I can do it for doc. I can do it for LASIK. I can do it. We can do it for almost any industry. It's been fun. It's hard to explain to people sometimes, but it's, it's cause they think I just want to rank on the first page of Google for family law attorney in my city. Uh -huh. And it's more than that. It's more than that. And this is where you are more than that. Yeah. This is where your expertise comes into it. Uh, Daryl, 
great, 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 great yeah. speaking with you. Thanks for having me. The way we're talking, <laughs> we, we can could just, speak all day. Yeah, yeah, all day, <laughs> all day. And I, I love your, I love your stuff, man. I love, love your platform. I love what you're doing. I, I hope uh, we can definitely stay connected after this. This has been yeah. absolutely a blast. I definitely want to do that. We will do that, Daryl. For those who want to um, stay connected with you or contact you in one way, what's the best method? What's the best way for them to reach out to you or connect to you? Easiest way, you can find me at DarylEvans.net. DarylEvans.net. We will put the link here as well. Hey, if you're watching this, remember to like this show, this video, subscribe, you know, share it with other people as well. Daryl has shared some great entrepreneurial nuggets with us here. And in the future, I'd like to get him on because we I've got a whole <laughs> lot of stuff I want to talk about further, but that we will do a round two at some point. So, Daryl, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. God bless you. Look, keep doing what you're doing. Keep sharing. Keep helping um, entrepreneurs and people. And I, I can tell you're a great human um, because it's about really making an impact and making a difference rather than just taking, taking, taking. So on that yeah. note, take care and I will catch up with you very, very soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're most welcome.